Welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast with host Teddy Tarantino. New episodes every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget to subscribe. All right. Welcome to Hell Has an Exit. Today I have Rachel on the show. Um, what's your Instagram handle? Rachel Elizabeth X Zero. X Zero. Okay. So you're pretty popular on social media. I appreciate you for coming out all the way from Austin. All the way from Austin, Texas. Um, we talked a little bit yesterday. I wasn't trying to get too much to know your story, so it would be like a fresh take yeah. on the show. Um, you've been clean for six years or five years? Almost six in uh, April. Okay. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from New York originally. Okay. Yeah. How did you get so? Hang on. How did you get so big on social media? Did you like set out to get big on social no. media? No. No. During quarantine, videos? I uh, my oldest son had TikTok and. So I downloaded TikTok and just started getting on there. It, you know, we were all bored and had nothing to do during quarantine. So I got on there and I started just trying to do the dance videos and knowing damn well I can't dance. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that didn't work out for me. So I just started like randomly like venting on there, especially about mom stuff. I had just had my youngest son and one of my videos like went viral mm. and I got like 33,000 33, followers overnight. Wow. What was the video about? Um, What they don't tell you before you have a baby. Oh. Yeah. So it was a lot of just like. <laughs> what don't they tell you before you have a baby? They do not tell you um, that you get like shakes after you have a baby. Like I had no idea. You get cold sweats for like at night for mm-hmm. like six weeks. Uh, breastfeeding is really hard. Um, what else did. Oh, oh, delivering the placenta after you have a baby. So it's like you have to like deliver a whole nother thing wow. afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I thought it just lots of fun stuff. Yeah, gotcha. Like women's stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> gotcha. Interesting. How long were you clean at that point? Probably like three years. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think like two, three years. That's cool. Cause sometimes I see people like get like ninety days clean, and they set out to be like a recovery advocate on the internet, and I'm just like, you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, I well, I had no. Yeah, you were like I, that was not to. even my my intent at all. I started mm-hmm. with mom content, and then I just started making more content, and then slowly got into the recovery mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and yeah, it just went from there i don't know i i really don't know what happened <laughs> to be honest with you i don't really understand it I'm do you always feel like, pressure to do the social media stuff no not i really like enjoy it's fun? it yeah it's okay. it's fun for me um the fact that it's my like my my job now is kind of wild because that's never wow honest. really yeah that's that's all you do yeah social media yeah social media and wow how do you get an income from it um so i do brand deals gotcha views you know money from ads Uh and and stuff like that and oh that's cool yeah wow interesting yeah um okay so you're from westchester new york Mm -hmm. what was growing up like for you um so growing up i was kind of a i don't want to say weird child Mm -hmm. i just always remember feeling very like different than everyone else you know Mm -hmm. um i lied a lot as a kid like a lot um and were you like ex- like i lied a lot too and for me like i got excited from like manipulating people to believe it yes and i would get off on like just coming up with something like random like it didn't even it wouldn't even benefit me i just right. would get off on like the skill of yes. i made you believe this that was me 100 yeah. percent. and and looking back on it now i'm like <laughs> Maybe that was a red flag, you know, Um, but I I just was not aware of so many things for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I just really like never felt a part of I wasn't, you know, I was kind of I had like a chubby phase growing up. I wasn't one of like the cool kids and Mm -hmm. all that. And even like over time, I started getting more friends and hanging out with more of a, you know, popular crowd. I still just like never felt like something was always missing and i was also very depressed at a young age um and i'm not i I couldn't even tell you why i have very strict parents um and i couldn't hang out with my friends how like other people were hanging out with their friends and i think that that looking back on it i think i felt very isolated um and alone and then that led i was like running away by the age of you know like 10 i remember when i was like 10 years old i i lived across the street from like a park and I wanted to run away and I packed like 10 rolls of toilet paper, like the most wow. random, mm-hmm. the most random shit you would ever like. What am I going to do with 10 rolls of toilet paper? I brought like, I don't, I don't know. I like put it in like a, 
a stick I had always seen like in the cartoons when they have a wow, stick like in like a, a bag. Stick in the bag. Wow. <laughs> With like something tied. I think I took like a sheet or something mm-hmm. and tied it um, and went across the street to the park for like an hour. I don't think my parents even mm-hmm. noticed. Like and Huckleberry like, Finn. Yes. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is, um, I have nothing to do here. So like went home. But I just wasn't, I wasn't really, by the age of like eight, I was just like not happy um, mm. at all. And you have a sibling, right? Yeah, I have a younger sibling. And your younger sibling was like fine throughout. Like he is the sweetest angel baby ever. (laughs) Uh, He really is. Like he's like the total opposite of me. He did everything Mm -hmm. right in his life. I'm I'm just so proud of him all the time. And he saw me go through Mm -hmm. like everything that I went through, which is it's tough because there was a lot. Um, But yeah, he's the sweetest. Uh, Let's introduce our other guest. This is Takashi six nine. This is my cat. That's a Swedish boy. So Rachel thought it would be good to have. Yeah. I don't normally let him in the podcast room because he like goes crazy, but he's chilling. He's right chilling now. now. Yeah. But yeah, he's an odd eye sphinx. He's nine months old, and one of his eyes is green and one of them is blue, and he's a sweet little. He's the sweetest baby boy. Yeah, I love my cats. Yeah. Okay, so um, okay, so early childhood. When did like the acting out start happening for you? So, like I said, it started with, like, the wanting to just, like, escape, run away type stuff. And then I think when I was, like, 11 or 12, I started experimenting. Like, I started smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time, the first couple times I smoked weed, I didn't get high. Like, it took me a minute. And then I remember, like, yeah. the third or fourth time, all of a sudden, it, like, hit me. Mm-hmm. And your girl was just like, and I was like, what is this? I will never forget that first time I was in like a pizzeria and mm-hmm. like life didn't feel real. And I was like, what is this? Um, and then once I felt that you liked it, I don't. The first time was really weird because it was different than all the other times. Yeah. Like I felt like I was in a dream. Like it was we- yeah, yeah, it was weird the yeah. first time. But after that, I kind of got used to it. And then I just started smoking all mm-hmm. the time. I wanted that feeling all the time because like I felt like. It felt it, it. I just didn't feel how I was feeling before. Mm-hmm. It made me feel better, right? Yeah. Um. And then you know, then alcohol and doing all that. And through high school, it was really, or through middle school, it was really just, um, like weed and and drinking. And then that graduated. You know. To Were you getting stuff. uh disciplined or in trouble in the, at that time or no? So my parents sent me um to like a adolescent psych ward when I was like 12 in middle school. Cause I had ran away mm-hmm. with my best friend and we were like with like the, the, the biggest weed dealer in our city, like <laughs> all night driving around, you know, wow. at 12. Yeah, and like, look, I thought I was grown, you know, at that age I was like, I'm mm-hmm. literally grown. What are you talking about? So looking back at it now, that's so terrifying. Like I, I can't believe what my parents, you know, like mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what they were feeling. Um, but yeah, I just didn't care about any, anything or anyone. And so we went to school that morning after being out all night, like running. I don't know why we went to school. So dumb. Um, and my parents came to pick me up from school and brought me like right to the psych ward. Gotcha. Yeah. And what was high school like? Um, so high school, I, my parents put me in Catholic school because I was acting out and they Mm. thought that that would save me, I guess. Um, but it ended up being even worse. So I grew up in like an inner city, um you know there's a lot of low income and and i then i went to and a lot of people weren't partying it was like a very small amount of people Mm -hmm. at like my public school a lot of people looked down on it like when we were like 12 13 they were like that's a you know they would call you a crackhead if you smoke weed you know it wasn't cool Mm -hmm. um it wasn't cool until later on in high school then people and i was like i was doing that you know way before you Mm -hmm. um but then i went to this private catholic school and those kids know how to, you know, those kids know how to drink. They they mm-hmm. have way more access to a lot of things. So. And they're like um, <clears throat> more advanced in how they get away with it because right. they do have a lot of structure and stuff. So they're way sneakier. Right. So it creates a lot of like criminal thinking. Well, there was a lot of parents that were also okay with it. Like, gotcha. They would let us, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they would, as long as we were in the house, we could drink. But I really realized like I drank to the point where i blacked out like every single time my friends would just like have a few and mm-hmm. like get drunk but not like i was always like a mess you know i like couldn't stop mm-hmm. but i didn't really realize that that was an issue like at that time um it took me a little longer i think in when i was like 
14, 15, I started experimenting with other things, you know, like the Coke and the e-pills e was like my first like mm -hmm. real, like I was like, okay. Like when I did not get it, I would throw a tantrum like a toddler. And that's <laughs> when I knew I'm like, okay, I'm a little different. No, everyone else is fine. And I'm like, I am not going to be okay if I don't get this. Like this is the, it's the end of the world, you know? Um, and that's when I knew I was like, okay, like I'm a little different. I never like denied that I was an addict. I kind of realized it. I just always thought that I could manage it. You know, I was like, I can, I can figure this out somehow. How many like, like e pills were you doing? I mean, were, were you doing it like every day or just on the weekends? Not, it was just on the weekends because I couldn't when go to school party. rolling face. Like yeah. it was one of those things that, that, um, you can't, mm -hmm. I couldn't hide it, but I was thinking about it all during the week. I couldn't wait mm -hmm. for the weekend. You know what I mean? All the time. It consumed my whole brain. It was like, you know, the compulsion, the obsession was there. And mm -hmm. it was like, just could not wait for the weekend, um, at all times. And so that was like how I lived my life. And then, you know, I would be like severely depressed during the week from like all the, all of my chemicals in my brain being gone. And then that made my mental health issues like so much worse. Yeah. Um, and then one night, uh, we couldn't get it. And I was having one of my tantrums and, um, someone offered me a line of oxy like the eighties. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You yeah. probably remember the eighties yeah. days. Right. Yeah. And so I did it. And the first time I did it, like so many people, I was puking, mm -hmm. you know, um, I didn't necessarily like it. It was a very different feeling than what I was used to. Um, but I, I just kept doing it and I mm -hmm. did feel bad like that, that like need. It's crazy. I wouldn't think they were that prevalent in New York. They're pretty popular over there. 80s? 80s oh yeah, yeah. Wow. oh my god yeah wow. yeah we got took down mm -hmm. the opiate like with pills in the 80s and then you know once they made them like the i don't know if you remember when they made them the um uncrushable ones yeah there's mm -hmm. a word the ops mm -hmm. opanas no um they well they made the they made the oxy so you couldn't you couldn't, you couldn't crush yeah yeah it would, be, it would be like a gel yes i would exactly. still snort it well we so we used to put it in the microwave we used to like there was a yeah. way you had to do it, like mm -hmm. get the coating off and like do a certain way and then put it in the microwave mm -hmm. it was like and a whole scrape process it off. but it was yeah. still wasn't the same so yeah. then everyone went to blues you yeah. know blues and then dilated yeah mm -hmm. yeah so i went from snorting 80s uh to then snorting blues and then smoking them and then i yeah. really enjoyed smoking them and like that's when um i i started really you know i i got sick the first time i was gonna ask like what because that's always like the pivotal moment yeah and this like, was during when did you the first get sick yeah this was during during the 80s phase this was before you mm -hmm. know they they did all that because i was in high school and that's why i remember it mm -hmm. um i think i was i think it was 11th grade or whatever mm -hmm. um and I, I was doing them every day and it, it was in the beginning stages, I guess, because it must've been like maybe a few weeks to them. Cause I was doing them all the time and I didn't know what opiates were when I like, when I first did them, like I didn't realize yeah. it's like basically heroin, you know, it's opiates. I didn't realize. I didn't get... understand that. Yeah. I didn't even know the severity of it because I had smoked crack already. So to me, when I was already on crack, I'm like, whoa. I'm going to get off crack by doing these pills. So I'm like, this is a legal pill. How bad could it be? Right. I, and then I would do volumes and stuff to come down from crack. So I kind of saw it like as like a volume, but like it would give you a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. So like I thought it was like because on crack you can't leave the house. So like, right. I'm like, oh, well, now I have all this energy and I'm like more productive and I'm able to leave the house. And then um, before I ever did opiates, my parents sent me to military school and I failed for everything except for opiates. And I remember being like, why would that? Well, I remember thinking like, why would that even be on the drug test? No right. one does that. Because I thought it was like opium. Yeah. Like uh, Edgar Allan Poe shit. You know, like <laughs> I was like, no one does opium. I didn't know that opiates was the same family as heroin and that the painkiller like i have friends who like shoot dope and shoot i'm sure you have too yeah and they're like yeah it's like literally the same thing right and i didn't realize that and that's funny that you said about the normal thing because once i once i crossed over from like the e-pills to the you know to opiates and and to oxys i felt the same way i was like this 
I, I'm normal. I could mm-hmm. do this anywhere. I don't have to like, you know, hide myself. I don't mm-hmm. have to be a weirdo, like hold up in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to worry about me like, you know, on Grinding out here teeth. being yeah. crazy and just looking like an absolute crackhead, you know? Um, so I felt normal. So that made me, you know, do it so mm-hmm. much more. I was doing it all the time. So yeah, so I got I started doing them and then I remember being in high school and um, I went to school and I guess I hadn't had them for like a day or so and I didn't even think anything of it. Mm-hmm. I went to school and I was like, I felt like shit walking. I remember walking to school and I got to school and I was like, I was in homeroom and I was like, I need to go to the nurse right now because something is not, I'm sick. Like I need to go home. So I walked home and I was sick for an entire week. I thought I had the flu. You, it took you that long to figure it out? It, it, yes. Okay. So listen. So then my wow. boyfriend at the time, uh-huh. like days into this was like, you're probably going through withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? Like what? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Um. And so once I realized that effect that it had on me physically, I went, I was like, okay, I have to make sure I have this at all times, you know? So it just made me go that much harder and just like really, you know, I had to hustle and make sure that I had it all the time so that that wouldn't yeah, happen. Yeah, it's so crazy because like, um, I remember when I first started withdrawing, I remember being like sweating and stuff and I was like, maybe pills make you really cold or hot. Yeah. So like when you don't have them, you get hot. And then I remember feeling sick. And then I remember my friend being like, oh, you know, withdrawals are a myth. It's all in your head. It's not real. And I'm like, really? Whatever. And then like, I talked to someone else and they were like, because he would do them sporadically. Right. And like I was doing them for, I would probably say almost every day for like four, five, six months. Like I just never went without it until that one time. Right. And then I remember I was feeling so sick. And then as soon as I did a blue, I was like, or I think like an oxy or whatever just instantly right and then like then you get it i got addicted to that like zero to a hundred because like sometimes when you would do pills every single day there wouldn't be like much excitement but like that feeling of like being so sick and coming up with money and like coming up with that twenty dollars the ritual of it yeah Yeah. it would feel like you won the lottery it'd be like the (laughs) you like the best fucking feeling ever literally there was times where i was dope sick and then like I would feel better as soon as the money touched my hand. Yeah. Like mentally, you would just know that you're not going to be sick. Right. Like like that's how powerful addiction is, is that your brain is just so dependent on that drug. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the ritual is is crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. Being like dope sick to like drooling is like. Right. The craziest. Yeah. When it's every single day. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so what happened after that? Uh, what was I on? Okay, so yeah, then I I got sick. Um, that's what we were talking about, right? Yeah, the first time you got sick, and then your boyfriend said yeah. you were withdrawing, and then you it took you a week. Yeah, yeah. So I laid I laid up in bed, and I feel like he that's didn't crazy. tell me this until the end of like mm-hmm. when I was sick. Like so withdrawing. I was through it, but like I still hated the way I was feeling, and I was like, okay, now I just have to make sure like I never and without them um you know and so then that went on for years i went to my first um detox i think uh oh and then i also so i got pregnant with my son at 18 my oldest son and i thought that that would like make me stop completely he would save me um and during my pregnancy it was a lot easier to not do what i was doing it was still hard as hell um, and I definitely had my my moments, but like once I after I had him, um, they gave me pain medicine at the hospital and my boyfriend was like, you know, in there. Was he using the whole time? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then right after um, he was born, I was right back to what I was mm-hmm. doing and I felt like it made me a good mom. You know, I was able to do and I'm I'm a, I'm a teen mom, you know, I'm trying to mm-hmm. figure this out. I'm like still in my active addiction, but I felt like at that time it made me better, you know, um, and it made me like be able to do all of these things that I feel like I would struggle with normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really delusional around that, like for a long time. I thought yeah. it made me so much better. I'm like, I am living my best life. Mm-hmm. I can do everything better on this. Like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't do these things when I'm when I don't have my. I know. I, I always have... tell people that like opiates make painting a fence in 200 degree weather like 
fun fun anything anything yeah, you anything have to do you have chores to do, laundry waking up early right. driving across country right. like you could walk in the desert and like if you're high on opiates you're just like skipping you feel like you could do anything yeah it just puts you yeah. in like this amazing mood and then like yeah sometimes your life gets so fucked up that like it is still fucked up but it really makes anything that much it makes it all go away when you're yeah, high because I was crazy. doing a lot of, you know, I was stealing. I was losing jobs. I was stealing. I was getting caught first. I was pawning stuff, you know, um, and she got it got bad, you know, um, and I would feel terrible for those things like as I'm doing them. But I'm so sick and like it just nothing mattered in that time. So I'm doing all these things that I would never do normally if I was not you know um, yeah it's kind of like you have to and you're you like i couldn't really feel bad because it was like i mean you i'm in a corner like you right know, like the, it was like, like survival yeah it's like you know? a, yeah like what the human spirit is able to do yeah. under those stress situations on a daily basis it's like yeah if you had i i used to think like like when I would rob a house or something, like, dude, if they know how bad I was like withdrawing, they would give me the money. Right. You know? like, I deserve this. Yeah, right. Like, like, yeah. Like, dude, it's not my fault. Like, you know, I'm, you know, what do they care about 300 right. bucks? You know, yeah. this is like literally life changing to me. Yeah. You know? That's I don't how the have mindset this. goes. And then it's like, I could be doing it. I could be, you know, killing somebody. Right. For, you know? like, this <laughs> I is, could be doing so much worse. Yeah. Like, you should be happy. Actually, yeah, exactly. you're welcome. Mm -hmm. You know? um yeah i was i was doing a lot of stuff like that and i and i was so i felt so entitled like mm -hmm. i i remember feeling so guilty as i'm doing things but i also at the same time like there was so much like double-sided mm -hmm. feelings to my addiction because you know with that like i would feel guilty but i would also at the same time i felt so entitled, entitled to it like yeah. to everything in my life you know i'm like my my family's money they 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 literally made me be a person here on earth like i deserve this or you know whatever the case may be um and the same thing with actually me i wanted to be sober like once shit got started getting bad mm -hmm. half of my brain really wanted to be sober mm -hmm. like really did throughout but like my addiction was just so powerful and i had no idea how to like surrender and let it go for so long like i was in my active addiction for over 10 years um and then i went to my first would you dream about what it would be like to be like totally sober i think in the beginning i, I was just like i didn't really think about it too much i just knew that i didn't want to be feeling like you know the way that i was mm -hmm. feeling like being sick all the time having to do all of the things like things just started getting like negative and weren't as fun as they were in the beginning and i started having consequences and i was just like you know half of my brain like i said was like i don't want to do this anymore um i went to my first detox rehab at 20 i think i was Maybe I was 19. I don't remember. Um, but I went in there thinking I was ready. And then I got in there and I'm telling, you know, when they ask you, like, how much you're doing and, mm -hmm. you know, all, all this stuff like that. And I told them, like, way more. I told them I'm doing Xanax when I wasn't I, just because, like, I was med seeking. Yeah, right. And so that now I'm more fucked up in detox than I was even out there. They put me on method. Mm -hmm. They had me on all this stuff. Wow. I was knocked the whole like I was so. This was private treatment or was this. Uh, this was a private treatment uh -huh. center. Yeah. Um in connecticut mm -hmm. and so i went there i mean it's not really their fault like i told them yeah, like, they're yeah. giving me what i told them i'm telling i'm doing like you know the Benzos most and all right this. everything Alcohol, so they yeah. gave me this whole cocktail and i was just like so done the whole entire time and then i'm still like i'm literally to the point where i'm almost comatose like i'm in my bed i couldn't get up for groups mm -hmm. i don't remember one group from that whole time how long were you there for I was only my insurance kicked me out, so that mm -hmm. I'll get to that in a second, mm -hmm. right? And and then I would also be doing jumping jacks in the in the hallway to get, your, the to get my colonidine. Uh, yeah. get yeah, you know, you know the little trick. I'm like, gotta get my heart rate up, gotta mm -hmm. get you know, because I just needed all of the meds that I could <laughs> get. Um, and then I think I was there for like I think I was there only for like seven or eight days before my insurance like. Oh, wow. Kicked yeah. me out or something. And now I'm on this high ass dose, dose of methadone and all of these things that I went on, was on. So I went home to kick cold turkey after that. And that was like the worst experience of my life. 
Like I had no, I remember drinking NyQuil. I was like hallucinating. Yeah. I was so, 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 so sick. Like my mom had her friend come watch my kid. They're downstairs. I'm up in my attic in like the spare room we have just like kicking like mm -hmm. miserable for days. And then I think I like, I think my, I think I went to a meeting or I did something and I was able to get like a pill or mm -hmm. some shit like that and then from then on you know it was just like that cycle of me going in and out and then i started um down the line i went to another treatment center in 2013 and that was a really good experience and i was actually that made me more um i was like getting to the point where i was ready but i still wasn't mm -hmm. there when yet you found when you first went to meetings mm -hmm. were you like Oh, this shit works? Or are you skeptical? Like, did you think it was corny? Like, no, I didn't. So I, I actually, I went to my first meeting. I think when I was like seventeen or mm -hmm. eighteen, um, and I immediately felt at home. Yeah. I, I did. I like listening to people. I was like, holy mm -hmm. shit, there's other people like me. Um, I didn't even think about doing the steps or anything like that though. Like mm -hmm. I just kind of thought like, okay, you just have to go to the meetings. I thought it was a really cool place, but mm -hmm. I was not like super willing to yeah. like do that and be all in it. You it's know, it's crazy because we had like a really similar story, but like at 17, I went to meetings and I immediately was like, wow, this is where I belong. Yeah. And like no one looked like me. People were like way older than me. People had like all these crazy stories. But, like, when we were talking, I'm like, dude, this dude is – he's talking the way that I think. Right. And I was right. like – and when you live your whole life thinking that you're the only one like this, and it's like even in my little group of friends, like, I was, like, the crackhead out of other crackheads. You Same. know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that was me too. Like, I was always the one that they were like, bro, we do drugs, but, like, you are off the chain. Yeah. Like, we're not – you know, get out of my car. Like, we're not talking to you anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, d don't ever come around here anymore. Like – you know other like crack dealers refusing to sell me crack you know <laughs> like get out of here yeah and it's like um when i went to meetings it was like for the first time i met so many people that i i didn't want to relate to them right i was going there like i have nothing in common with these people and it just happened and i couldn't couldn't get out of it and i don't know i think that like i people always ask me like, how i got clean young I think getting clean, like, I like to do crazy shit. Mm -hmm. So, like, when I was young, I'm like, well, smoking weed's cool. Oh, well, doing coke is cool. Well, what if we smoked crack, you know? <laughs> so, like, I was always, like, that one-upper person where I had already done opiates and done crack. So, I was like, what would be the craziest thing to do now? Yeah. So, I used to be like, well, it would be crazy if I didn't do any drugs. And I, like, did all this recovery stuff. So, to me, I started to get, like, obsessed about, like, the total opposite right of what i was doing because that would be the craziest thing i could do and then it seemed like um pretty it seemed like rebellious to not do any drugs or drink or anything and yeah. like just go to these meetings so that's how like i saw it when i was young yeah but I, you related but you were like yeah i'm not gonna do the I work i just wasn't ready yet you know mm -hmm. yeah i wasn't i didn't fully heat like yeah, I just wasn't ready to do the work. I spent a lot of years just going to meetings mm -hmm. I, and I, I couldn't figure out why they weren't working. I would go, but I felt so at home at the meetings that I would go to meetings high, like yeah. all the time. So you always knew that this was where you needed to go. I knew it was home for me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I felt that from the beginning and the fact that they, people would welcome me back. They knew I was, high. you know, I would go to meetings like, you know, saying like, oh no, you know, I'm sober. I would share whatever. They, I'm high, you know, mm -hmm. the whole time. Um, but they loved me anyways. They like, you know, I was always welcome back. And um, I just really loved that. Mm -hmm. But I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't willing to do the work for a, a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's crazy how people go to meetings for years. Mm -hmm. And at every meeting they say, work the steps, get a sponsor, right. do service, and your life will get better. And they go to meetings and don't do any of those things. And for years you're like, why is it not working? Right. No, that yeah, was literally me. It's crazy. It, because I just thought that like <clears throat> I thought the fellowship was like, I was just thought that was enough for a long time. Mm -hmm. I I didn't really hear what I needed to be doing for a while. Like I got one sponsor. Mm -hmm. Um finally, after like years, I'm like, all right, let me try it. But I didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. I had all issues with whatever. And I think we got through steps like one through three mm -hmm. maybe um and i relapsed because i wasn't in it i just wasn't in it you know yeah. um i just couldn't stop i was in this cycle of like i would start i would detox myself 
and uh, most of the times, but I, when, when I was with this specific sponsor, I um, had relapsed for like two weeks. Actually, this was before I started, started detoxing myself at home. And she, where I'm from in New York, they don't have a lot of treatment centers. There's no, there's like no rehab. Um, so it's like hospital detoxes. And so we planned for, I like did my last, my last thing. And I'm like, I need to go, I like, I need to go away somewhere because I can't be at home. Like I need to be somewhere where I can't access things and I can't, Mm -hmm. you know, go and do what I need. I need to be like locked up, like lock me up. Um, so one night where, where I was like, okay, like I need to go into detox. We went to a hospital, um, because it's like first come first serve, but like also, you need to be like an alcoholic. Yeah. You can't just like, oh, if you're just opiates, most of the time mm-hmm. they will not. Like, and if you're just, just cracked, no way. Right. Yeah. So I, they made me drink a whole entire thing. It was like Jack Daniels. It was like I had to drink and in this specific time so mm-hmm. that when I got there. You were drunk and right. you had alcohol in your Now, system. mind you, I'm dope sick. Mm-hmm. When you mix dope sick with alcohol or coke, like I've tried every single thing every single other drug to do like while I am sick, it always ends up so much worse. So now I am absolutely shit faced. We get to the hospital and I get like, you know, through the ER or whatever. And they're like, we have no beds tonight. Sorry. So now I'm shit faced. I'm dope sick. And they have to drop me back at home. And then the next morning do it again. Yeah. So the next morning we went, um, to this other, like, just like, disgusting detox in like yonkers new york like um and i got in there and they wanted to give me methadone and i had only been using for a couple weeks so like i wanted to do cold turkey i really just wanted a place to go yeah and then they were like you can't do that this is a medical detox like you're just taking up a bed Um, i'm like my insurance is still paying you like can we just like Mm -hmm. let me stay here please but I ended up literally hating that place anyways. And I think I left within 24 hours. Um, you know, I called my boyfriend to come pick me up and then I was using again. And I just went through this cycle of just like continuing to do that. Um, <clears throat> and then I learned how were you always in a relationship. What were relationships? Oh, like man. Were you I was like, so, yes. were you one of those? Like you'd fall in love. I would go love? into meetings here. Here's what I would do. Fall in love. I would go into meetings and I would find the sickest dude in the room and me with like, two days clean i would be like i can save him that is literally what i'm Mm -hmm. gonna do right and then you know it would always be a newcomer we would end up relapsing it was the same story every single time um and then that that, i was so codependent i always had a boyfriend like that was a big problem for me i could not be alone um which is so crazy because now my life for the last like since I got sober is like such a 180. I didn't have girlfriends like that. Like mm-hmm. I had like my girl running buddies and mm-hmm. that was about it. I never had a good group of like girlfriends that I talked to consistently. Um, I was like that, you know, girls, there's so much drama. Like I hate that. You <laughs> I know? hate girls. Yeah. yeah. I was just terrified of relationships with women. Like mm-hmm. I just was. And um, I also got a lot of validation from men and like mm-hmm. I, thrived off of that and um how do you change that behavior because honestly i think that like for men too but i see like a lot of parents who are like well we got to separate her from the boyfriend because that's the problem and like it's true and it's like part well of the if problem. she doesn't if she doesn't want to separate like you know she needs to figure it out because she'll just find somebody else right. tomorrow at another no, rehab you exactly know? so like it's really hard to because i've seen people die over this right like every single time you're in rehab Mm -hmm. you're all gung-ho and then you meet this dude and then you guys leave together and then it's like dude that's the problem so it's like how did you change that behavior like so it took me a minute um you know there's a whole storyline of like i got a rehab boyfriend even when i went to austin Mm -hmm. the first round i got a rehab boyfriend but we stayed sober for the most part for like 60 days and then i relapsed Mm. because i wasn't fully focused on my program um and then after that you know we broke up for a little bit and then we got back together and then he relapsed and he died he died you know um august 20 2018 i want to say and um when that happened i had like 90 days 
sober. I, so I went back to rehab after that little relapse that I had and I put myself on a boy ban. My, my rehab was like, you, if you come back, no boys, no nothing. And I actually took it mm -hmm. seriously that time. So I, I did that. I, I didn't look at any of the boys when I was in rehab. I mm -hmm. like focused on my stuff. I've been sober since then. What do you like? What, yeah. Turns out if you listen to suggestion and you actually like do shit that other people tell you, it can work, um, you know, which was really hard for me to grasp for so long. But after he passed away, um, I had a couple other like little relationships, but nothing, something like was just not sitting right in my soul. And I was getting into the step work. Like I was mm -hmm. getting into the step work with my sponsor. I was looking at myself. I was realizing like all of these things. Um, and I was doing a lot of inner healing. And then all of a sudden, and I was also um making so many relationships with women right like i had a core group of women i was talking to more women and then eventually it just kind of i went completely opposite where i had wanted, a whole bunch of girlfriends right and mm -hmm. i was like i didn't want to deal with men like that any in that capacity anymore and then i was single for like three years because i went through a whole bunch of shit with my baby daddy he came down to austin and he relapsed because we got pregnant with Sil like it's a whole my my life is like a whole drama you know um novella over here and um are you hispanic no okay <laughs> no why because you said novella la biblioteca <laughs> El azul mm -hmm. in la casa. So you yeah. speak Spanish. Yeah, I'm literally fluent. Um, so, so yeah, I was single for years mm -hmm. after that, you know, and I, I'm chilling, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what. So, like, the boy band is like really interesting because, like, it seems like such a petty thing, and sometimes, like, I, you know, I've worked in treatment for a long time, so it's like sometimes it'd be like a woman's like 43 years old, and you're like trying to put them on a boy band, They're right? Like, you know like but a lot of times it is like and it's anything like um anything that distracts you from your recovery needs to go and honestly at the suggestion of when i suggest some like to stop doing a certain behavior if there's a big like thing in someone that's like no you, that's like a a sign that that's probably what needs Absolutely. to go so there was like a time where like a friend of mine was begging to go to treatment she relapses all the time she also is like in a relationship all the time, but she also has like a lot of like body image issues mm -hmm. and like a lot of women struggle with like like bulimia and stuff like that. And her thing was like she was like a fitness model, but it's like, dude, you're a fitness model. You compete, but you're also like shooting heroin. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I felt so bad for her because like, you know, you're trying to be all healthy, but you're shooting heroin, you know, right. and like, you know, when she wanted to go to treatment, I was like, I would, you know, I'll help you go to treatment, but um, you can't work out. She was like, I have to go to the gym, da, da, da. And it's just, like, so interesting how, like, people really don't get clean until when, you know, therapists or support group or sponsors tell them, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And if their response isn't, like, I'll do anything, it probably isn't going to work. Like, right. you need to have that, like, surrender deep inside you to, like, I'm going to put the car in neutral and I'm just going to, like, let someone else take care of it right you know? so with my sponsees one of the first questions that i always ask them is like are you willing to go to any lengths mm -hmm. right and they'll be like yeah you know I, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i am and then it will be like they'll, they'll be i've had a lot of um sponsees that like i'll get in rehab and then when they get out i'm like okay so like are you gonna do sober living like like recommended and they're like uh well actually like i think i was just like gonna get my own apartment mm -hmm. and i'm like Remember, willing to go to any lengths? Remember when you told me that? Like, you know, all these things. Or I'm like, call me every day for two weeks. Or like, you know, all mm -hmm. these things. And then, you know, you see who's who's willing to yeah. do stuff. But like, if you're not, that is, I, and I've learned from experience. Because like I said, it took me over 10 years mm -hmm. to get it. And like, even when I first started working the steps, I would still pick and choose what I needed. Like, I didn't, mm -hmm. I would never fully surrender to stuff and then once i finally did it actually worked who mm -hmm. would have thought it's such a simple yeah. thing but it took me so long to figure that out mm -hmm. you know i'm like so hard-headed i'm like that was so simple mm -hmm. yet so hard to do you know i think for me like when i got clean like my life was so fucked up at such a young age i had no like delusion of like i can handle it i was like i like i had a full breakdown like my first year clean i probably cried like at 50 percent of the meetings i went mm. to i was raising my hand like i don't know what to do like um i had such an ego at such a young age like i was like the coolest kid in school like i always thought like i was the man and then like once i got into like opiates and crack like 
my life just got so bad so fast that when I got clean, I was very much aware that like I was going to die. Right. So like when your uh, boyfriend died, were you in shock? Like, at, but prior to that, were you like aware how serious it was? Or was that like a big wake up call? Was to I you? in shock that he died? Or yeah, well, like you know how like in treatment they're like, well, you know, one of you is gonna die or whatever. Like, was that a big wake up call to you? Because I know for me, like my first like friend that died was a big like wake yeah, up call. Yeah, me. I mean, so they had told him, and they had told us in rehab. Mm -hmm. They brought him into a room and like showed him pictures of the other like uh, past clients that had died wow. and told him. This is going to be you if you don't stop. But both of us were really bad with um, deflecting with humor in groups. And mm. they don't they don't like that shit when you're in rehab. You yeah. know, I still do it now. I It's how I deal, you know, how I talk about my trauma. I think it makes it easier. It's easier delivery and stuff like that. But we weren't it, it wasn't the right place. There's a time and place. Right. For it. Yeah. it wasn't the right place for it. And we weren't really taking it as seriously, you know, deflecting with humor when you're literally in your first 30 days and trying to get your life together mm -hmm. is not it. Um, and yeah, I was when I, I had lost other people. I had a boyfriend in New York that I lost uh, the, the one that put me on to heroin. He passed away. All of my friends are like quite mm -hmm. literally 95 percent of the friends I've ever had are are dead. Mm -hmm. um and but when he passed it hit me very differently and like i said i was like 90 days sober and normally when someone would die even if i was like sober for a couple weeks I, it was automatic like relapse you know mm -hmm. like oh this is exactly this is my reason i get to go relapse now you know because poor me how dare you like you know what i'm going through so much um and then this time was different because i felt more motivated to be sober like it was like something I had never experienced before dealing with something. I was in total shock when he when he died, but like I it felt different and I had this spiritual connection now, right? Like I had that. Um I just I felt so differently and it just it motivated me more mm -hmm. to, you know, continue with my recovery and be serious about everything that I was doing. Yeah, when I had 9 months clean, I got my first sponsee and um it was someone that I had he used to sell me drugs. Um, rest in peace. His name is like Matthew Jarrett. And um, we ha I, I was speaking at a rehab and he was in there. And, you know, I told my sponsor like, oh, he asked me to sponsor him. I don't know if I'm ready. And I was like on my four steps. So, you know, I was about to have a year. And my sponsor was like, you know, I don't know. Like, I think you could help him. You know, I think, you know, he was kind of unsure about it. And I'll never right. forget. He was like, remember, when you sponsor somebody, you take their life in your hands. And I was like, okay, you know. And, um. Looking back, I don't think I was ready to sponsor people. I think I was too concerned with people liking me. Mm. He would tell me, um, hey, dude, like I want to do steroids. I don't know, whatever. And I called my sponsor and he, um, this is what my sponsor said. My sponsor was like, well, tell him he needs to go get a white key tag and it's a relapse. And I was like, he's a little too crazy. And I never told him that. And then there was times where he was asking me questions and stuff. And I didn't have the ability to be really tough on him. Mm. So he would like not do his step work. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, yeah. at least you're staying like clean. people pleasing. Yeah, I would really yeah. be people pleasing and really trying like just trying to have fun with him and take him to meetings and stuff. And um, when he died, like all I could think about was my sponsor saying like, you mm. take his life in your hands. And then when yeah. he died, it like understood that like we could die we're all like gambling with our lives and like right. the chips and stuff at meetings but when he died it like did something to me that um like it changed my whole world like i wanted to be clean but after that i was like wow like i really owe it now to be clean and like i need to really figure this out right but um yeah it's crazy because it's like I don't know if I would have stayed clean if that incident didn't happen at that I, time. Listen, I, I believe everything, even the most fucked up of things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I, that has been shown to me since I got sober. You know, once you see past yourself and you see like whatever your higher power universe, like the coincidences that start happening, the people that are put in your life, like are just like everything Everything that I have seen, like I've lost jobs. I've I've, I've been in so much fear over things and I, I've lost things and you know, been freaking out only to be blessed with better things right around the corner, mm -hmm. you know, and it's hard to trust that process sometimes, but it has been shown to me. It's a lot easier now because I've just been shown time and time again. Like if I just continue to do the things that I'm, I need to be doing, helping people, trying to not be a piece of shit, you know, being of service, doing these things, um, 
everything comes together, you know, the right way. Even the most fucked up of things, mm-hmm. you know, have their reasons. What um what other difficulties did you go through like your first couple of years clean? You know, I was really blessed. Mm-hmm. Like I um like when I got it, I got it. And I I remember, I mean, I had I got pregnant with my youngest, I think I was like a year and a half mm-hmm. in. Um, and then I got really sick after I had him. I started having all these like, you know, illness problems and and figuring that stuff out. Um, that was difficult, but really I ne- I have never had a time where I've even thought about, about using using. Wow. I've had times where I wanted to like blast myself. Um but the, the yeah, that's thought, what i tell people now it's like it's so weird i think that i think because i go to suicide too yeah i don't think about using but i think about suicide yeah so i think my brain is just like well why take the long road right you know what i mean so it's like to me i know that using i might as well just kill myself so to me it's like i don't know my brain automatically goes to suicide yeah me too yeah, it's, it's, like, it's so so dramatic first of all <laughs> <laughs> i know like, but you know what it so when i first like up until three years, maybe two, three years clean, I was like suicidal always. Like it was just in the background all the yeah. time, you know? And then um, I think like at 10 years clean, like I had a lot of trauma and like stuff happened to me. And then it like came back. And I don't know if it's going to go away, but since 10 years clean till now, it kind of is like always there. But from three years to 10 years, when someone would be like, oh, I'm suicidal, I'd be like, you're crazy. Like, yeah. What? Like, I couldn't even imagine that. I'd be like, what? Right. Until Why? you feel like, it yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like, I used to be like, dude, life is so good. Like, you know, so right. much to live for. Like, your whole family. Like, wow. You know, not that I would judge people, but I just, ne- I didn't, I never felt never that see- way. Sometimes you have to, you have to feel things yourself to well, understand Well, I, I know them, what it was like, like to feel it because I was just getting clean. Right. And I was miserable and like, I didn't have friends. And it was just like, I, when I was using, I was really suicidal. Yeah. So then when it like. When it came back, I thought it would like you know go away. Yeah, and like it, I still have thoughts like that whenever I'm high stress situations. Yeah, it's like the go to. I feel like I get mm-hmm. I get like that sometimes too. Um, but yeah, other than that, I've never had a time where I've just even been tempted to use. It's always like some you know either like severe depression mm-hmm. or like I'm gonna like Suicide. I want to kill yeah. myself. <laughs> what about um? Have you gone to like therapy since from since getting clean? Um. So I really haven't done much. Um. I started wanting to during quarantine, mm-hmm. and everyone was it was like all the virtual stuff, and I couldn't find. Mm-hmm. I tried so hard. Um, I really find a lot of therapy through, you know, you know, talking to my sponsor, talking to other people. Um, well, even your social media is like really powerful and stuff. It it really like my followers don't understand how much, like I have people messaging me their stories and like all of this stuff all the time. And the fact that I can, they, they, they're saying that I help them is just like so wild to me. Um, it might be hard to think of, but like, what are some like interesting stories that have come from? like the social media like where someone has said like you've helped me or like well so i mean i it just i I started like posting about recovery like i was real mild in the Mm -hmm. beginning i would just make little funny you know little funny ones and then people would ask questions so i would open up more about Mm -hmm. it and then like then i started getting real bold and like Mm -hmm. sharing probably too much you know, like the nitty gritty that nobody really talks about, um, you know, at least to the public. People probably talk about it in meetings. But like I was out here just talking about some real vulgar uh, things that happen and go on. And then the amount of people that related to those situations and um, just like the the outpouring of, of messages that I've gotten um it's just absolutely insane. Like, it's just, I don't, I just get, I get people that pour out their hearts to me on a mm-hmm. daily basis in my DMs. And the fact that they feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable with me like mm-hmm. that, and they don't even know, like, know me, yeah. know me, is just, I don't, it's wild. It's there was wild. a kid on the podcast. He I actually had him on the podcast, but I remember he said, like, I was using, I was listening to the podcast for months in my active addiction. 
and you kept talking about meetings in Florida because he had gone to meetings, but he lived, he was like living in like the middle of nowhere. Right. And he's like, the meetings I would go to were kind of like whack. And you would just like talk about recovery down there. I was like, so fun. And he's like, dude, I was using, I would listen to the podcast all the time. And then one day he just moved to Florida. And got clean. To Fort Lauderdale, got into a halfway. Wow. And then was clean and like no treatment, nothing. And like I would run into him and he like he wouldn't tell me the whole story. Like, oh, hey, I listened to the podcast. Like, oh, cool. Whatever. And like one day he was like, yeah, bro, that's the reason why I moved here. And I was wow. like, wow, that's crazy. So yeah. it's like it's cool because, you know, social media and the podcast or social media in general gets like such a bad rep. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, social media is ruining our generation. People have TikTok brain. But there's such like a powerful, positive way to use it that is life changing and impactful to like you couldn't reach anybody like that on any like without social media right you know? yeah it totally depends on on how you use it and mm-hmm. i've had a lot of situations like that too where people will message me and they're like i you know i'm trying to get clean i'm trying to detox like do you have any advice and like whatever and i also um i also host like a recovery support group on mm-hmm. zoom like virtually and we've been doing it for almost two years now and wow. i've watched people come in with no clean time, mm-hmm. right? Like no sobriety. And mm-hmm. now years, in, like just watching the light wow. come back on, like even virtually. And I've never met these most mm-hmm. of these people in person. But like this is my family. Those wow. are my family. Mm-hmm. Like it's so wild. And that, that's what I'm saying. These like, you know, these virtual relationships um, through social media and the things that have come about are just like such a blessing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy because I have friends that, I didn't meet for years that I just met through social media or whatever. And I feel closer to them. Yeah. Than some people I've known for years. In right. Yeah, you know cool. them like you don't. I, mm-hmm. I feel like you don't these days, you know, um, you don't necessarily have to know someone face to face to know them. Yeah. Which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love doing the pod. You're asking like, you know, the pod. Like I love doing the podcast because it's like such a resource for people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um. Some people, this is the first time they hear about 12-step meetings. Right. And it's like, I think it's so important to be like a young person in recovery and to have like some type of, not that everyone has to do it, obviously, but it's like, I don't, like when I was using and or when I first got clean, there was literally like one guy who was like kind of young who like would go to the meeting who had like more than five years. There wasn't a whole bunch of people that were younger that had recovery that would right. like make it seem possible or even like fun because mm-hmm. sometimes you know you go to meetings and it's like okay that might be cool for you but like you guys are like in your 50s and like in your 40s and like you know lost everything so like right. now you're happy like going to the recovery dance on friday yeah. and like you know what else are you gonna do so a lot of times it does make a lot of sense for young people to see like other young people to feel like oh, wow, I could do this and my life wouldn't be, it, my life wouldn't be ending. It would be fun or cool right. or whatever. Well, I think that's so important and like that's the, you know, attraction rather than promotion, promotion yeah. type shit because when other young people see other young people doing it, they're more inclined. Like if they say, oh, like this kid is not leaving, living an absolutely boring, dreadful life. Like maybe I could do this too. There's a lot of young people in Austin. Yeah. That they have well, a, if um, you live in a major city and you go to meetings, you're going to find all different like you know slower meetings faster paced right. meetings like the you know i tell everyone like if you want to find young people go to the late night meetings yeah. like eight o'clock to mm-hmm. ten o'clock or where the young people are going to go if you're older go to the noon meeting you know so yeah. it's like if you're in but there are some areas that don't have an eight thirty friday night meeting you know what i mean there are some areas where they have three meetings a week right and maybe the fellowship isn't really that there's not a lot of community. There's not like a lot of that events, was me in New York. You know? Yeah, in New York. It was yeah, like that. there. I had to drive, and I did NA. I did mm-hmm. NA in New York. I do AA now in mm-hmm. um, in, in Austin. Austin. Yeah, but for NA meetings, they literally had. I don't know. There wasn't even one every single day of the mm-hmm. week. I had to drive 45 minutes sometimes to go to like a meeting that I like. They had AA, but AA back home was also yeah. very different. So I went to treatment in 2013. And like that time I was actually pretty serious about mm-hmm. my recovery. And I, when I got home, I wanted to do 90 and 90. Mm-hmm. They didn't have enough NA meetings for me to do that. Wow. I went to an early bird AA meeting and I raised my hand. I was like, I'm Rachel, I'm an addict. 
at the end of the meeting, two dudes came up to me and they were like, this is not where you need to be. Old timers. Wow. Right. So yeah. like, I was like, fuck, Hey, Hey, I'm never coming mm -hmm. back, you know? Um, and then thank <laughs> God I had such a different experience. Once I came to Austin, mm -hmm. it really depends on where you are, the people that are in it. And that's yeah. what I tell people even, the uh, recovery support group that I run, it's not a 12 step based mm -hmm. thing. I talk about my 12 step, mm -hmm. you know, um, experience and everything like that. And if people want to know about it or they want to explore that, I, mm -hmm. I definitely support, support them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I always tell them because people will come in and they'll be like, I had such a bad experience with AA. And I'm like, dude, I've, I've had that, too. But mm -hmm. sometimes you have to move around and like mm -hmm. find it's it's different. What I tell go. people is like. A meeting is not the program. So it's like you could go to a million LA fitnesses right. and one sucks and one's whatever. Then there's like, you know, you fit and then there's like this gym and then there's like CrossFit and there's like, you know, outside. It's like you need to work out. Yeah. So don't throw out working out because you don't like a gym. Right. So like what I always tell people is like you need to find the meetings that you like and like there's no excuse for it because it's like when I was doing drugs, I wasn't like, well, I really don't like that crack dealer. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's like when I was using, I fucking put up with shit and dealt with shit and I practiced compassion. I practiced tolerance and I put my feelings to the side to get what I needed to get. Right. So it's like when I go to the gym, I'm not necessarily there to make a whole bunch of friends or whatever. I'm there to get what I need to get. And if I have a couple, if I have one or two friends, I tell people like, dude, you need three friends. If you got that's three it. friends in recovery, that's yeah. it. You don't need to be that's friends with everybody, whatever, you know. It's like you got three solid people because I have people that I sponsor. Like, well, I don't like meetings because I don't hate everybody. I'm like, what about this person? Oh, I like that guy. What about this person? Well, they're cool. What about this person? Right. Like, you just listed three people. So why don't you just focus on the three people you do like instead right. of focusing on the 200 people you don't like? Right. And, um, and sometimes it's just like. You know, put some effort to go to different meetings. Mm -hmm. Do Zoom meetings. Go to a meeting outside of your area, you know. And then I was talking to my friend last night. We all got, like, gassed up because, like, you know, I have 15 years. He probably has, like, 22 years. And we both, yeah. yeah, we both go to meetings a lot, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, bro, it's really hard for me to understand how people, a lot of successful people, like, a lot of successful people, I guess anybody. But, like, we know a lot of successful people that, like, don't go to meetings or like give back or anything which i'm sure they do like church or something but to me it's like how are you gonna go to a, a program with nothing get your whole life back and then as soon as you get your life back you leave yeah and it's like they talk about don't leave like before the miracle a lot of right. people leave after the miracle yeah like oh thanks i got the miracle like i'm out of here yeah but then a lot of people will be good for a little bit mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they're dead oh i've for seen sure. that like so many mm -hmm. times you yeah know? there's so many people i looked up to that i never thought would relapse when right. i was like first guy and clean. that's crazy yeah and yeah. the most gun-ho recovery mm -hmm. like recovery tattoos all over them and they're like i don't go to meetings or whatever and um i try not to be like a like a nazi about it you know like i try not to be like but i just see so much positivity in meetings that i just don't understand like how people could like get all this from it and then like bash it or whatever yeah but yeah i think you know everyone has their own experience mm -hmm. and they gotta live their own yeah. journey i guess and i have friends that do other things they're like well you know i don't like the program anymore i do therapy and stuff. like right. i can respect that you know and it's like i just don't understand how like so many people have like such like a bad taste in their mouth from the program just because you had a resentment over three people you know right yeah well i think it happens a lot you know um i've had a lot of friends that have gone you know i've known so many <laughs> people that have gone through they're like oh they're just like judgy and they're fake and they're and they're and just like you <laughs> said it is not the program it's the people in it mm -hmm. and guess what some pe people that have 20 years 30 mm -hmm. years 50 years can be still be just as sick as a newcomer mm -hmm. you know everyone's going through their own stuff so i think that it's unfortunate that sometimes the people in the meeting can be that like mm -hmm. deciding factor for for people um and then a lot of times like well i don't really hear anything i need to hear anymore da, da, da. i'm just like at what point do you go to a meeting and think like i need to be giving right. and doing something you know it's like right. You know, when you even like live your life, like when you live your life, like thinking like, what am I going to get out of every scenario? You have a, cr a very like victim, uh, toxic mindset. But like if you go into every situation, whether it's a meeting or work or whatever, like what can I do to help? You know, it's like maybe you should go to that meeting that you hate to make it better. If it right. sucks so bad, you know, why don't you raise your hand and say something great, you know? Yeah. But 
My cat is so cute. Look at him. I didn't he think he, I no, thought he'd be he like going me. off the chain. No. Yeah. Uh, he's he's just sleeping him. there. Look. That's a sweet baby. You have cats or dogs? I don't have anything right oh, now. Really? Yeah. Okay. I just have too much going on at mm-hmm. home. Once I once I buy a house, which is hopefully hopefully next year mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy a house and then I'll get a dog. What I don't kind? wanna I don't know. You like big dogs or little dogs. I like big dogs, but they also have big poops. You know, and they're big. You I, know what? I, I like big dogs, too. I feel like you have... Sometimes I could tell if someone's a big dog person, a little dog really? person. Really? Yeah, I feel like like annoying yappy girls are like little dog people. <laughs> and like more tomboyish, cooler girls are like big dog people. But um, I didn't mean to be mean in like either way. But like, No, that's okay. But like sometimes you'll see a dog that looks like a big dog, but it's like smaller, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like those are cool. I'm trying to think of one, but like I yeah. don't know. Well, my, my best friend just got a Rottweiler. Okay. Um, and that's a big, that's a big boy. He's mm-hmm. a big boy. Um. I do like I, I like little dogs too. Um, I don't I don't really know. I'd have to look into what type of yeah. maybe I'll get a schmedium. You know, a schmedium dog. dog. Yeah, yeah I think a schmedium dog. dog would be cool. Yeah. 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 Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank yeah, you for coming for all the way from me. Austin. I hope you liked uh, Florida for the small time that you're yeah. here. For an eighteen hour, a mm-hmm. little eighteen hour trip. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.